Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I always used to tell people, if you get a name for yourself, you, the money comes, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, I found out since that that's a, <laughs> that's, that, there's a little problem with that logic. This is Death, Sex, and Money. I don't want to die at James Franco's house. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Your relationships are the heaviest components in your life. And need to talk about more. It's a matter of money. I'm Anna Sale. Singer-songwriter Robert Earl Keane has been with his wife Kathleen for 30 years. When we first got married and we were living in Nashville, uh, this woman said, I gave you six months, you know, and I, I said, you know, you don't know me. It's not like that for me. That tenacity to stick things out and hold on even when they get hard has served Robert Earl Keene well over the years in family and in his career, in part because his story songs never really found a home on country radio. I'm truly an outlier. There's there's no other way to describe me but a, a true outlier. I'm, and I, it allows me a great deal of freedom. At the same time, there's a great deal of frustration of not being able to, you know, fit in the country club sometimes. He's made his career by steady touring. At 59 years old, he still plays about 120 shows a year and tends to his loyal fan base that started in his home state of Texas and spread. His fans love him. His hair and beard are now flecked with gray, but every concert I've been to feels like a party. First, there's the chanting. Then Robert Earl Keane strides out on stage in jeans and a cowboy hat or in a sharp suit if he's playing bluegrass standards, and everyone just goes bonkers. But before all this, Robert Earl Keane's music career had a slow start when he was a young husband with a new wife. We laughingly say that our first 12 years of marriage were rounds, you know, we're, <laughs> Yeah, we had, we went through twelve rounds of marriage, and then you know it got better. So, so yeah, but you know it's tough on anybody's marriage when you're struggling so hard to make something work, and 
there's that anxiety and there's that fear going on, you know. What would you argue about? Oh, um, well, the classic things, uh, the money, the career, the direction you're going, the maybe we should try something different. I mean, my heart was always completely fixed in the idea of, you know, making a career out of music. So I I couldn't get off of that. So any time that that would be hinted to me, I I was uh, pretty testy about that that kind of thing. And, um, you know, even if she'd say, well, maybe you ought to try this or something like, I don't need to try that. I, I'm doing the right thing, you know, but I just wasn't having any success at it. Robert and Kathleen moved to Nashville from Texas in 1985. He just released his first album called No Kind of Dancer. And his friend, the musician Steve Earle, told him if he wanted to make it big, he needed to go to Tennessee. It was exciting and scary uh, for me. I was... Uh, Somewhat secretive about it because all the way through college, I was always playing and always thinking, this is what I want to do. But I wasn't telling anybody because I didn't want to, you know, fall on my face and embarrass mm-hmm. myself. But I was always playing. And so when I finally made a, made a record, I, I felt like, you know, I had, I had made this giant leap into, you know, you know, semi adulthood in that I've done something on my own. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I moved to Nashville, that was, that was a, true leap of faith i had never even considered it i never considered i never considered the the real uh road map to fame i just thought just that you it. would want it bad enough you could figure it out you know so i'd never thought about oh here's what normal people do they go to nashville and learn how to be a songwriter and i had absolutely no um a vision of of you know what the music business or the entertainment business was about. Did you feel like everybody else around you sort of did? Well, uh, I love that quote in that movie Diner where um, uh, where uh, Mickey Rourke says, "Do you get the feeling that there's something going on that we don't know about here?" And I <laughs> and I've, I I always related to that that comment because I do get the feeling to this day that there's something that I just not clued in on. And you know some of that bliss is is really healthy as far as I'm concerned because you can't you can work yourself to death trying to figure out all the angles you know. Uh, but I do have kind of a one uh, mantra: it's brute force and ignorance. Just keep pushing, you know. Brute force and ignorance. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the sun is setting on our time living here. You've lost the will, I've lost the heart. We should be leaving while the coast is still clear Cause we won't make it after dark Cashing our chips and we can pack up the car Lock up the door and hide the key The only two things that mean anything to me Are loving you and leaving Tennessee Why? My when my stint in Nashville, which lasted 22 months, uh, was uh, difficult. Difficult. I, I moved there with some friends. My my all my peers that were musicians blew up. I mean, they completely blew up, and I went the other way. I um I just uh, kept sliding further and further away from my goal, and I didn't know what was wrong, and I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I was, you know, hitting the streets and knocking on doors and 
and trying to get a, some attention, and um, I just it just wasn't happening. So um, by the end, I was standing outside. I'd come back from Lawrence, Kansas, where I I had played, and my car broke down, and I spent all the money that we uh, had made in Lawrence, and my wife was with me, and um, uh, I got home, and someone had broken our house, and we had like, I don't know, a couple little uh, cabinets and a, you know, a couple of trinkets or something, and a VCR and a television, and they took all of it, and I was, and I thought, well, this is a sign, you know, this is there was another more of a funny thing. While I was broken down on the road in O'Fallon, Missouri, Steve Earle, who had talked me into coming to Nashville's bus, passed by. <laughs> Big, huge bus goes whooshing by, says Steve Earle on the side. And I thought, this is not really good. And I got back and, the, and our house was ransacked. And I, I, I felt ashamed and humiliated and uh, at the same time felt like I had to I had to make some kind of move to to just change the way things were so uh, I turned to Kathleen and I said you ready to go home she said I'm ready I said okay let's go so we were. so it sounds like it wasn't so much like not not having the money in Nashville it was just feeling totally spiritually depleted yeah, well, I was broke too. I had hocked everything that I had hocked. I, I was completely broke. It was, you know, it was all of it at one time. It was, it, it was. But it, the, the the part where I was making no inroads whatsoever, and I wasn't even writing good stuff. I was, you know, deflated and uh, somewhat embarrassed. That you know, I mean, a lot of my friends knew that I'd gone up there, and I thought that I would come back with the prize. And I, instead, I came back with my tail between my legs, and uh, my my whole reemergence was somewhat slow. But you know, when I had the nerve to open up the guitar case and start strumming on the guitar, I I realized, oh, I don't have to write a hit song. I I can I can write what I want to write, and I and I did. Standing on Main Street, across Mr. Blues, in my faded leather jacket. My weather broke and shoes A chill north wind was blowing But the spring was coming on As I wondered to myself Just how long I've been gone So I strolled across on Main Street Walked down a flight of stairs Stepped in the hawks All my friends were there And the outside was flashing Welcome, come on in It feels so good Feeling good again What was the decision like to to start a family with your wife? You've been married for for a while. For a while, and that you know that had to do with uh, you know we were struggling so much. I, I my, my thing was I, I have got to make this work. Uh, I've got to get this career off the ground. It's so weird to call music a career because it's not exactly that. You know, it's a, it's almost a complete lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we I had to get this off the ground and feel like I could uh, be responsible for, um, f- you know, for a family. And I wasn't going to leave, you know, the- leave them in a lurch or try to figure out something else. I did feel like I had to uh, be able to uh, handle it financially as well as uh, uh, psychologically. And the first... You know, several years that we were married, I I wasn't 
I wasn't ready at all. I could, I didn't. I thought I would. It would all come unraveled. Was there something that made you feel ready? Yeah, um, I uh, played a night one time. Um, I played a couple of shows uh, um, where they totally sold out, and I thought. You know, I got something going. I think I had a couple of records under my belt at that point, and and I didn't have a plan, but I did think I I had something going. I had the, you know, the wheels in motion. So at that point, I I felt more comfortable, and uh, that's when we, you know, that, that you know, shortly thereafter, uh, Claire was born. And your wife previously would tour with you on the on the road, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I I never did any of that that nonsense about. You know, having her sell merch or you know, glad handing people and stuff like that. I it just you know, we we enjoyed each other's company and we had a really good time and you know, it was like uh, Kerouac's on the road sort of thing. It was this great you know, travels with Charlie experience. You know, it was really fun. Travels with Kathleen. It was really good. She pulls back on Main Street in her new Mercedes Benz. The road goes on forever and the party never ends. Coming up, Robert O'Keen talks about life on the road over the past two decades, including the many nights of partying and drinking. All things in moderation, including moderation. Do you still drink? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. I, I'm alive at this point. I, all, the, all the AA people out there probably go, oh, this guy's totally in denial. But the fact is, is I, I've never had the problem with it. There was probably a time, I don't know, 20 years ago, it was a a little, a little tougher, and I was probably pushing it too hard. But these days, it's very, very United Methodist Church kind of drinking. Our episode about Heidi Reinberg returning to Brooklyn stirred some passionate responses from you. This came in from Michelle Fogarty in Vernon, Connecticut. When you asked her about being ready for retirement... She basically said, oh, I don't need to worry about it because someday I'll have family money. And I have a friend with a similar attitude, and it absolutely enrages me that they live their entire adult life being financially insecure because someday their parents are going to die and give them money. Others wrote in that they were frustrated that Heidi hadn't changed more in the year after getting priced out of her neighborhood. But some of you heard a story that felt very familiar. SR wrote on DeathSexMoney.org, Thank you for sharing your story, Heidi. I also experienced near destitution recently, but I was helped by friends. And as I looked back on my worst year in terms of finances, I was surprised to discover that I considered it a good one. Speaking of money, I really do appreciate the donations you've been sending in to support Death, Sex, and Money. It's incredible. You get this show for free, and you're voluntarily pitching in your hard-earned dollars to help us make more shows. It means a lot. If you've been meaning to give but haven't done it yet, please go to deathsexmoney.org donate and make a contribution at any level, and we'll thank you with that new Death, Sex, and Money sticker. Also, if you live in Portland, Oregon, I'm coming to town on May 30th to be on LiveWire with Luke Burbank. Info about that show is at LiveWireRadio.org. The show's at 7.30 at night, but if you're in the area and want to get together for an afternoon activity, send me an email at deathsexmoney at WNYC.org. We're cooking up something fun. 
On the next episode, hear what happened when we were live on stage in Brooklyn. Designer and potter Jonathan Adler was there with his husband, Simon Doonan, the writer and creative ambassador for Barney's New York. They talked about their 20-year relationship and their 14-year age difference. I think the reason our relationship works is because he's so technologically tragic that I (laughs) am in complete control of the remote and the radio, and it just works. Away on some trip to Peru or wherever, I just sort of sit in darkness with the dog. (laughs) Like, it's very very poignant. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. For the past 20 years, Robert Earl Keene has spent half the year on the road. This summer, he's booked up solid from May through September. Traveling with him are the guys in his band, many of whom have been with him for a long time. I've made a commitment to my band. I, uh, my band is paid, um, they're, 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 you know, paid like anyone else in the world on a salary. Mm. I have a retirement program that I've had for uh, 20 years now. Really? We have insurance, which we've had for 10 years now. And, and, um, like, and we take a month off every year. So I decided to treat the music business like People treat their own businesses and try to just follow that model. It was simple. To me, it was simple because that's what you should do for people. You They they give you their lives, basically, and you need to make sure that you're not going to steer them down the wrong path or leave them in a lurch. So I, I, I'm very passionate about that. I can't do what the musicians around me do. They have this incredible talent and you know there's a handful of people that really really appreciate how hard they work how how much they do i i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, uh, inflict the rigors of the road on my worst enemy i would I, because they're just you know it's uh, there's a lot of weight and and fortunately for us i have a you know i have a great band and a great bunch of guys There used to be a time where um, 
uh, you know, you'd finish the show and, and, the, and then, you know, there's about the after party and stuff. And that just doesn't happen very much anymore. At one point, I did think that drinking in the whole group was sort of over the top or was getting that way. So I started ordering these pizzas so everybody would have something to eat and maybe slow that down a little bit. And uh, now it's like uh, I think we look forward to the pizza more than we do the beer. There's something about being at your shows, when you look around, when you see grown men fist pumping in the air and Uh singing along with tears streaming down their eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's it's something about like your songs, many of them sort of allude to this intimacy with melancholy. Mm -hmm. But your songs are joyful. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... Is there something about that in your real life, like where you figured out how to be in a good mood despite sadness? Well, I I do. I feel like, you know, in general that, 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 that life is good. And I'm so always, even to this day, somewhat surprised when, you know, you just get a, a tsunami of, you know, bad news or – or, or hard times, and I and I do think it's always you know there's a, you know a brighter sunset coming coming on. So that's just that's that's the way I think. Also, just to kind of you know drag on in some in, incredibly sad fashion. I just I don't want to bore people because uh, you know, the performer in me wants to always make sure that you know you get, go away with some kind of good feeling. Yeah. Part of what comes with that is feeling adored mm-hmm. by your fans, mm-hmm. which for a lot of musicians also means by women. Mm-hmm. How have you navigated that as a as a traveling musician? You know, uh, I I have a great uh, bunch of people around me. We're all like minded in that way. It's it's not. You know, that's the kind of the unsexy, you know, like, I don't want to hear that. You know, I want to hear these, you know, crazy rock stories and stuff. But, you know, really and truly, we're a bunch of guys that go out and play music, and then we get on the bus and we play Scrabble. And, (laughs) and, you know, and occasionally there's the late night party or there's the bar or something stuff. But you just get up and you walk away. I mean, because... That's that's such a side road to what you know. The purpose is the purpose is is to get out and play music and and put these songs across, make people happy, come home to your your family and and take care of your family. And that's those are the those are the things that are most important to me. So I I don't really veer. That doesn't mean that. I don't like women or there's not some, you know, great feeling of, you know, in this nice that all these people like me. And and uh, and, and I've been, um, you know, uh, pinned uh, to the wall as, you know, being flirtatious and stuff. But to me, it's just all fun. It's not it's not about crossing the line or figuring out something else. I don't have another agenda. distance like having some time apart over your long marriage has has had any benefits 
I think it has a lot of benefits. I, I, I'm, you know, as you know, in the world of what the divorce rate is at fifty percent or a little bit over fifty percent these days. Um, I think a lot of it is just you know being, you know, too close quarters and or uh, not being able to figure out how to handle that time away from your spouse. And uh, we've been, you know, uh, very dogged about our effort in trying to make sure that that works. So, so um, I would have to say yes. Which of the two of you is more concerned about stability? Me, I'm definitely. Uh, she has she has her thing that she she likes routine and things like that, but I, I'm always I'm always thinking in terms of making sure that we're covered that that the uh, that you know the girls are f- fine that that my band is you know covered. We have uh, we you know that's. It's high on the list. And on sex, mm-hmm. is sex compare for me sex in your fifties versus your forties? Wow, I wish I were a clever person at this point <laughs> and I could say something really funny. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, I, I think, I think sex is a is a, a huge driving force in your life, and. Um, to be honest, I would say that um, somewhere uh, in your fifties, um, you lose some of that that um, that drive, and it is uh, it is somewhat devastating. It's uh, it's it is it is as much as losing a loved one somehow, hmm. because it makes you feel you're aging. Um, yeah, there's there's the aging part, but the other thing is is, is a, a certain amount of, of fatigue, and then a, a certain amount of losing connection with the world around you. Beginning where you are used to people looking at you, and then all of a sudden realizing you're just invisible. That's part of it. It's that it's that loss of um, whatever we have in our hormonal makeup that um, I think that makes you invisible and it's rough. Hmm. I should think of it as like a part of a a pulse and an energy that's happening around you that you feel more alienated from. I've never thought of it like that. Absolutely. It's uh, if it were a movie or something, you would all of a sudden be a half tone instead of a full tone. You would, Hmm. you would be start starting to become invisible. And I think, I think that's the main ingredient right there. Uh, hopefully what you do is you you work on your intellect. Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't grow old gracefully. I damn sure can't figure that one out. Robert Earl Keene. He's playing shows across the American South and West this summer. Tour dates are at robertearlkeene.com. His latest album, Happy Prisoner, is a great collection of bluegrass songs that also features Peter Rowan, Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks, and Lyle Lovett. Robert's old college buddy from Texas A&M. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, and Joe Ford. Thank you to our fantastic interns, Zachary Mack and Caitlin Pierce. Best of luck to you in your next adventures. The Reverend John DeLore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter, at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And don't forget, we want to give you a Death, Sex, and Money sticker, so please pledge your support at any level at deathsexmoney.org slash donate. 
And Robert L. King's music is hard to pin down. It's country, folk, bluegrass, blues. But when I asked him how he thinks about death, it was all rock and roll. My plan, a donkey, two big wooden boxes on the donkey, you know, like like saddlebags, right? Full of heroin, put me into the desert and let me go out into the desert. And then, you know, you can find my bones in about 30 years. I always heard it was good, so why not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go read, read a Nicholas Sparks book. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.